Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To know Jesus and have that relationship with him that Paul describes here, stating that we can be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, is to be part of his family. We are a part of the family of God, and that family is huge, consisting of all who have answered that calling from God to be part of his family. And when we read our Bibles carefully, we may notice something interesting. God does not describe the peoples of the earth by race, typically, rather by families. And using their ancestral names found in Genesis makes it easier for us to understand which people are being referred to because things change over time, and so do names of countries. But the names of the original founders of a particular region of the world after the flood can be traced back to Genesis 10, where all the families came from. Genesis chapter 10, verse 1. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togarma. Sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Ketim, and Dodanim. From these, the coastland people spread their lands, each with his own language, by their clans, in their nations. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Now we fast forward to the time of Ezekiel, around 500 years before Christ, and we can see some of these same names appear in a prophecy about a war that has not yet occurred. In Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 1, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face towards Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. And I will turn you about and put hooks in your jaws, and I will bring you out and all your army, horses, and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield wielding swords. Persia, Cush, and Put are with them, all of them with shields and helmet. Gomer and all of his hordes, Beth Togarma from the uttermost parts of the north with all his hordes, many people are with you. So the same ancestral names are used centuries later when the people groups are not necessarily the same, but the names of the region still maintain the family names from God's perspective. And I think this is noteworthy because God sees things so differently than we do. He sees the families whom he has created as a part of his creation, and he loves them just as a father loves his children, even the disobedient ones. And it drives home the point that there is really only one race, the human race, and all humans are valued by God despite many of them hating God and hating each other. Now, as God has given us his word, his spirit, his love, mercy, and grace, I believe we should be thinking more from our spirit than a natural mind. In other words, allowing our thinking to be influenced by the Holy Spirit rather than leaning on our own understanding. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? And this is huge when it comes to the family. What God sees as family is often quite different than the way we view families. People's view of a family is likely influenced by the way that they were raised. If we had a good family, then we may be more likely to want to prioritize our own family above ourselves. If we had a bad family, we may put it at the bottom of the priority list and try to fill that negative void somewhere else, like work or friends or some other avenue. 
But let's look at what God says about families, starting in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God created mankind in his own image, and that means something. Namely, that we are in some ways similar to God. We are eternal creatures. We have a spirit. We have the capacity to create, to sacrifice, to love, etc. We obviously are not omniscient or omnipresent or omnipotent, but we do have the ability to connect with Him and understand some things about this life that demonstrate God's design for human relationships, especially within a family. So in Genesis 2.24, it says a man shall leave his father and mother. This is the first component of a family, a father and a mother. And for some, this ideal is not the case. However, that doesn't mean it's not the ideal. It is. A father and a mother working together to raise a family so that in time their son will leave and be joined to his wife. This is the ideal, and the ideal must be respected in the life of someone who desires to have a family that honors God. And Israel knew this, but as they became wicked, they began to behave wickedly, justifying their wickedness however they could, and God once again sends word through a prophet to rebuke them and direct them back to the ideal so he could bless them. It says in Malachi chapter 2, verse 11, Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and he has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. So their problem was they were doing what was forbidden, expecting God to look the other way. In verse 13 it says, And this is the second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears and weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, Why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, whom you have been faithless though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of his youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. And I don't think we hear these verses too much in our churches anymore, but look within this rebuke at the heart of God. Did he not make them one? In the time of Malachi, they had the same issues that we do with marriage. God still makes a husband and a wife one with, as Malachi says, a portion of the Spirit in their union. The oneness comes when both the husband and the wife come into communion with God, and God's Spirit is within both of them. That's the bond. God's Holy Spirit instructing the husband and the wife through life. And a couple committed to a godly marriage has their own tour guide through life, the Holy Spirit. But notice, there is an end game to the family, godly offspring. And I want to spend eternity with my kids. I don't want my kids to spend eternity separated from God and paying for their sin forever. That scares me and grieves me. So when we were raising our kids, teaching them about God was important, but more importantly, demonstrating the faith that we both possessed. Because we learned early before we had kids that God wanted to make us one and give us his spirit. And there were many times when I had to be the bad guy in our family because what other people were allowing their kids to do, it was wicked. But because the kids were little, the parents justified their naughty behavior with stupid comments like, oh, just let them be kids. And there's a context to childish behavior, being seen not as rebellious, but age-appropriate. But I'm talking about lying, being mean, not sharing, telling their parents, no, that's not how we raise godly offspring. But honestly, many don't appear to care about their kids being ungodly. 
I've heard parents say this many times. I just want my kids to grow up and be happy. Yeah, I think we all want our kids to be happy, but we must teach them to live their lives in a manner that will bring about happiness. And allowing those kids to be brats growing up while not giving them any type of constructive correction or discipline, it leaves the hope of happiness very unlikely and more likely that the child is going to grow up and be selfish. But for those who really want a family that is close until their end and beyond, God's principles work. Does that mean that your kids are going to be perfect when they grow up or never have any issues? No, not at all. Because in those seasons of difficulty, which many people will certainly experience, this is where the kids can fall back on what their mothers and fathers had taught them, the truth based on the Word of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit. If they choose to rebel, and most of them will in some way, shape, or form, then that's on them. Mom and Dad have done their job. But if they choose to humble themselves and seek the Lord, then their true salvation can begin. And that's what we want, kids who are going to spend eternity with Jesus. And we remember the promises in Scripture, in James 5.16, for example. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So those who want to do things right by obeying God's Word and His Spirit, we pray, we believe, we intercede, we sacrifice, etc. for our families, knowing this pleases the Lord. And this puts us in a place where God will bless us. And it requires putting our faith into action. And when we are faithful, we will see the hand of God move in our lives, as well as our families. Ephesians 6.16, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The devil wants to trash families because the family is the building blocks of humanity, and strong families create strong communities. Strong communities create strong cities, and strong cities create a strong society. And the work the devil has accomplished in our society by a continual assault upon the families should be evident even to the unbelievers. But 2 Corinthians 4.4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I've met so many people who have destroyed their families, causing everybody to suffer but continue to justify their actions. They are totally blinded to the reality that they played a huge part in their family's demise. But for those who are hanging in there, trusting in the Lord, keeping your marriages on the rails, relying on the Holy Spirit to do His work in your family, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10.22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. He is faithful and has our backs even when things go sideways. Don't stop trusting in Jesus, and take time every day to pray for your family. Even if it's all jacked up, God is still on the throne and can still do amazing things. Thank you.